Welcome to the Talking Recruitment Podcast from the REC. Every week we look at all the latest insights, perspectives and experiences from across our diverse recruitment industry. Hello everyone and welcome along to another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. My name is Neil Carberry, the REC Chief Executive. Pleasure to have you with us for another uh, discussion of some of the big issues in recruitment and staffing. Everyone here at the REC is super excited to be launching this year's REC conference. That's on the 30th of June. You can sign up now. It's still all online. Fantastic day focused on the recruitment workforce, focusing on serving differing client needs and looking at a number of different issues around candidate experiences as well. That's available to book on to now and you can dip in and dip out during the day from your desk because we are staying online for that. These last two years online have been fantastic events full of uh, insight for, for REC members so do come and join us for that. If you'd like something a bit more immediate the latest data came out in our report on jobs on the 10th of March that showed that the market remains pretty robust despite uh, some of the big geopolitical worries that we're seeing uh, at the moment but of course that does mean that labour shortages continue to bite the REC labour shortage website is available for you to have a look at all the latest data from us and also learn a bit more about what we're doing with for instance job centers and the DWP to improve the uh, pipeline of candidates into the industry. Finally before we move to today's fantastic guest a little plug for our academies the REC Management Academy available for you in terms of supporting uh, recruitment manager skills as people move from uh, day-to-day desk recruiting into running a desk and the REC Recruitment Mastery Academy for uh, supporting your consultants, both available with start dates in April if you want to look at those as ways of investing in your people at this important time. Now, with all that said, let's turn to today's discussion. And many of you will will know our guest, a longtime friend of the REC, Katrina Collier, author of The Robot Proof Recruiter. Katrina, welcome to the REC podcast. Thank you for having me on, Neil. I'm sure many of our listeners have heard you speak at some point over the last couple of years, but for those who haven't yet had the pleasure, tell us a little bit about yourself and the work you're doing. Yeah, well, importantly, I am a recruiter of old. I have been in the industry since 2003. I've been agency, I've been in-house, I've been trainer. And then, of course, I was asked to write the Robot Proof Recruiter. And once that came out, I had a bit of a reassessment. So what I do now is I run one as a mastermind program to help recruiters partner better with their hiring leaders. And the other is I run workshops, usually in-house with companies, to get the hiring managers, HR and talent acquisition or recruiters, whether internal or external, working to communicating better together. So that goes right to the heart, I think, of a passion you and I share, which is about mm-hmm. uh, recruitment as a professional service, a real mm. value add for companies. And, you know, I think I've said to you in the past, I occasionally do a session for hiring uh, managers and HR directors where there's one slide that just says, if people are a great asset, why do you buy them like paper clips? Yeah. <laughs> because there's a kind of cha- a challenge there. Now, you, you've been certainly very influential on my thinking on this. And the book, of course, came out before the event struck in terms of going back to when you published the robot proof recruiter that sense that recruitment is a human-centric industry i feel like this is a um this is a useful time to be doing this podcast because our last three were about recruitment technology but Mm. technology enables it's people that make the difference isn't it exactly and i just hasten to add i'm not anti-technology i was 
quite honored to be approached by Kogan Page. And they actually said, would you like to write a book? And I immediately knew it was going to be this because at that point, which is 2018 into 2019, all of the HR tech recruitment tech vendors were saying, we can replace you with robots. And, you know, as someone who was in the bank way back pre-recruitment, when they introduced the telemachines or ATMs, there are still people in the bank who can you can still go to. There are still cashiers because people still want a human experience. If they want that for cash, they're always going to want it for a career. So a lot of it was about demystifying that, one, that we will be replaced. But two, it's like if you're going to use technology, use it to make it a better experience for the people in the process. So that is your candidates, that is recruiters, and that is the hiring managers. It's all three. Um, and don't use it if it doesn't make it a better experience or save you time and hassle. I think that's absolutely right. You, your reference to the bank did make me think that one of the rites of passage <laughs> in my in the bank the bank that my parents use is when a new member of staff starts. One at some stage, they'll suggest to my mother that they might like to use one of the machines, and the level of shrift that that said teller gets is pretty short. I have to say. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's because people just still want that human experience. It, it, I mean, if you compare it with shopping in the supermarket, so you go to Sainsbury's or whichever brand you go to, uh, there are still people there at the checkout because not everybody wants the self-checkout. So, it's, well, I, again, actually, it's a similar some, thing. It's people want choice. Well, some of the supermarkets took out some of their automatic yeah. machines because oh, yeah, certainly I'm a self-scanner, but for lots of people, of course, yeah. that's the only person they'll talk to today. And uh, yeah. that, that human interaction does matter. And if it matters it in that matter. environment, of course it matters when people are thinking about their career. What we do is so important. We play with people's lives. <laughs> yeah, and make a real difference. Yeah. Some of my team were at a de- management development session last Friday morning. They had a couple of people on who talked about how a good experience with a recruiter changed their career. Either oh, going into going into a temporary job and finding their feet, and then ending up as the business leader or a piece mm-hmm. of advice. You know that that whole thing that we talk about the REC about making great work happen. Yeah, that is why we all find this industry so exciting. I mean, yeah, and I, and I really think if you don't, you really should leave because it is so long term. I mean, I could tell you the two people who get in touch with me from. 17 years ago who will say you know you changed my career you changed my life they they are still they're my Facebook friends now but it's that we really do play such a critical role and I feel if you don't have that level of excitement it is time to depart the industry well and I think one of the things we were trying to do last year when we did the recruitment for recovery campaign at the REC was just encouraging consultants to hold their head high and and value what what we do and and and, you know demonstrate that kind of real difference that we make but I think maybe the effect the effects of the pandemic have thrown that into sharp Mm. relief if you think about what we're seeing with people reassessing work do you feel kind of emboldened by the last couple of years in terms of the messages uh, yeah. that you're putting in the book coming out more strongly? All sorts. I mean, it, the funny thing is, is, I love telling stories. Like In the middle of the pandemic, I decided to get my car service. So I get my first Uber in like forever. And there I meet my Uber driver who has stopped working at a restaurant, you know, he, just across here in Greenwich, because he realized with the hours he was working, he didn't know his six-year-old son and he wouldn't have discovered that without lockdown. And then he tells me about the six chefs who've left the industry who are now driving Uber Eats because they're earning twice the money for half the stress. So that whole reassessment, you know, is quite real and everybody knows that story. But I feel emboldened because companies can't recruit. So it is giving people the opportunity and be it myself as someone who goes in to fix problems 
or agents who can partner to partner to actually say, no, I'm not going to work with you if you're not going to deliver feedback. No, I'm not going to work with you if you don't give a proper intake strategy session and all these sorts of things. No, I'm not going to work with you if you want to do seven, eight, nine, ten interviews with somebody. But we're going to really start putting a really human process in place. But if the market wasn't so difficult to recruit in, then I probably wouldn't feel quite so emboldened from my point of view. But I just feel there was so much downsizing in 2020, possibly too much. And then you add in the reassessment of some people that you've got this problem. We're kind of playing catch up and I'm not sure when we'll catch up. I feel like in STEM, we mightn't ever, but maybe with everything else, it might balance out in 2024, 2025. I don't know. You probably got stats on that. I'm not sure when it'll all return to some form of normal. But right now, if I was working in an agency and my client didn't want to give me time with the hiring manager or was asking for a ridiculously low fee or constantly rejecting CVs for all the wrong reasons, I would just walk away. You know, there's a shortage of people. There's not a shortage of clients. So you can pick the clients that are going to look after people. You know, I've really seen that trend in the last year of really savvy REC members saying, oh, we're picking who we're working with. Yes. The ones we're working with are the ones where we feel we've got a long-term relationship, who are willing to give us time. I was talking to the Times Enterprise reporters recently, and they'd had a, a small business saying, oh, the CVs I'm getting from the recruiter aren't any good anymore because the labour market's so tight. And, you know, feeling emboldened to say, well, you know, if you're phoning up five agencies and asking for what they've got on the top of the stack, yeah, and this market is probably not going to be what it was two, three years ago. But if you're phoning up an agency saying, look, here's my job spec, what do you think of it? It. where should I be looking mm. and look I'll give you two three four weeks exclusive on it then you might yeah. find that you get something a bit more uh, meaningful I think I've got a couple of thoughts in that without meaning to offend any of your members so that you totally agree and I would be wanting all of the extra information that no job description ever gives you which is the stuff under the skin it's, I call it chapter five of the robot proof recruiter all of those What's the problem they're coming in to solve? Actually, Steve Levy gave me so many of the questions, so just shoot for that section. You know, what are they, what's the career path? Where are they going to be in 12 months? How do you, how will you know you've hired the right person and all that sort of stuff? So if they won't give you that, fine. And I certainly would be wanting that exclusivity. But please learn to source properly because in this market, you need to be going above and beyond. So don't compete on LinkedIn because, you know, you're just competing with your client without naming names an in-house recruitment team who didn't have enough time to source had a DevOps role out with an agency and they had it for three whole months and didn't come up with anybody. The team then took several days out, like actively source and came up with 20 people and hired three. So that shows as well, there's a need to upskill by the agencies on that sourcing piece that where, and the engagement piece, which is a bit I focus on, but that where are the people really because if they're all getting bombarded on LinkedIn by clients and agents, where are they? It could be yeah. in your own database. It could be under a rock. You know, go find them. <laughs> you know, funnily enough, one of the things that's thrown this into sharp relief recently is the kind of fury over uh, job support pricing, where you've got a lot yeah, of what, yeah. saying, saying, look, what are we actually getting for this? And, Damn. you know, and, and so serious businesses saying to me, look, 70% of the people we get from job sports are already on our database. So how are we finding them on our database before we force them through a process where they have to re reapply themselves to us? 
honestly depends what you're recruiting for, but, you know, technology, that's what I recruited for. So it's my, my go-to example or health sector, for example. They're not looking on job boards anyway. No, absolutely. So I, is it actually worth using those job boards? And I apologize for anybody offended with that one as well. Because uh, sometimes I work with them. If you're not getting the return, again, it's be bold. Like you said at the beginning, do you feel emboldened? I absolutely feel emboldened to just go, are you joking? I mean, if any, I'm seeing the comments, by the way. So any job boards who are doing this, it's very, very foolish. You're going to lose business long-term. I think it's very short-sighted, very greedy. That's what I feel is going on. In the, it's the wrong time because there are very few candidates who are proactively going through the job boards. And like you said, what was the figure? 70% are already on the database. So if yeah. I was a recruiter, I would not be advertising immediately. I'd be proactively sourcing, but that's just how I think. You get a better return, you get better candidates who aren't particularly, will, will have fewer things on the go as well. You know, that you're hearing of these enormous counter offers and people interviewing, and they're still, even with a signed contract, they're still interviewing because it's so easy when people are working remote, isn't it? If you're proactively sourcing people who perhaps aren't, they'll, they'll have fewer things on the go. I know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I, I know we, I, I get where you're going as well. So I'll, we'll hope that uh, the, the listeners, well, that piece around. I might have just lost some work from some job boards, but you know. <laughs> it's still like, I just still think it's, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, but accessing the passive candidate and, and kind of if you're a specialist um, yeah. as, a, as a recruiter, you're a specialist in kind of knowing the field. And that means mm-hmm. knowing the different tools you have for sourcing, understanding their ROI. And that's one skill set yes. I think as recruiters we need to build up, which is not just this is a potential route to find candidates and this is, but mm-hmm. under what situations does version A outperform version B? And under what situations yeah. does version B outperform version A? I don't feel like they talk business enough. You know, when I when I put forward a proposal and I'm like, okay, you're going to get me into run a workshop and this is going to be the outcome. Here is your ROI. But to a point, it's going to cost you this and this is what I expect you to see. Now, obviously, they have to implement what they come up with for it to work, but there's always an idea. So it's okay, hiring manager, what's the cost daily to the business of not filling this role? People yeah. don't ask that question. So... They're a technology company. They need a product manager. They've got something to roll out. They know what it's costing them per day. And if they don't, that's quite worrying. Mm -hmm. But they do know the cost of not having somebody in that seat. Um, And that's how you can stand out from all of the other recruiters as well, vying for their attention. I'm going to say, okay, right, leave it with me exclusively. I'm going to give it my sole focus. And then it also makes your fee you know, if you're you're charging, a, I don't even know what they charge these days. Is it still 20 to 30%? It, it makes it feel quite reasonable against that daily cost yes. when you can fill the role with the right person. I think that's right. And, and it slots in that sense of understanding kind of your sourcing routes, having that sensible discussion with clients that helps them understand the ROI of working with you. Those are yeah. critical parts of, of building a slightly different position with your clients and I thought let's turn to kind of well if we're recruiters listening to this thinking well how do I take action well one of the one of the big bits is rebuilding the client relationship in a space where hiring managers are 
fully engaged with with consults and thinking about you know what's needed and how to move forward and that that of course implies a more exclusive relationship in terms of that kind of openness between hiring managers and agencies Mm. what would you what would your prescription be in terms of what good would look like I mean for me it's about we're a partnership so you're going to agree you know whether it's a new client or an existing client See, say it's an existing client. There is nothing to stop you saying, you do get what we've been doing isn't working, right? And they're going to go, yeah, well, this is true. I've still got a role to fill, right? (laughs) They're going to react in some way. Okay, well, this is what I think we should do. We need to partner on this. We've got to work together and we're going to agree what I'm doing and what you're doing. Because it's not about you finding CVs and presenting CVs and obviously vetting people, et cetera, all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. I do understand what you all do. It's not just that. It's the, right, you're going, I'm going to present CVs on Friday and you're going to come back to me by Tuesday. We're going to book interviews in for Thursday and you're going to have an uh, offer uh, answers for me Friday or Monday. Like it's that swiftness of agreeing all of the terms and they're non-negotiable terms. And I know that sounds really crazy, but it, this market You only need to go and have a look at recruiting hell on Reddit to get an idea of why people do not want to be messed about or actually read the last newsletter I wrote on LinkedIn, which was all about when the fang do it. You know, they mess people around, 16, 17 interviews. They can't make a decision and people just walk away. So it's it's coming in and saying, I'm going to do this. This is actually what I do. You know, I don't just advertise. The CVs don't just miraculously appear. I'm going to go and look through our database. I'm going to actively source on social networks. I'm going to interview them, then I'm going to present them to you. I need you to come back in this time frame. And the reason I'm asking that is your competition are doing that. And that's another big one, actually, I was thinking to mention, but we, we changed the topic. Know what your competitors are doing. You might want to work away, walk away from clients as well. And, and again, I know that your bosses mightn't appreciate me saying this, but if they're not offering hybrid or proper flexible working, oof, proper DEI, proper career paths, you know, maybe they don't have their values aren't clear, the sustainability policy isn't clear. You might want to start looking for some new clients because this is what people are expecting now. So it, it's all part of that. So it's like in that intake when you're agreeing everything, you're like, do you understand that your competition who are vying for these same product managers are offering flexible working? Did you know that their staff only have to come into the office once a month? Do, you know, are you aware? Are you aware? Well, how can we compete? We're going to partner this together. How can we compete? And you start using different terminology and different body language. It really is sitting up in your chair and making sure you're sitting up in your chair. And if your client's making you slouch, that's a really good sign to walk away as well. If it feels really heavy, like this is going to be too hard, you won't fill that role. So it's that a bit of an odd thing to say, but it's very true. <laughs> yeah, no, I, no, I absolutely agree. It is that sense of, you know, it, are you lifted Simon. up or are you, or do yeah. your shoulders droop when you're having that that. Do you feel like, oh, I'm going to be working with Neil to fill this role. I'm really excited to partner with him on this. But, you know, together we're going to get this brilliant person and change someone's life. If you're feeling like that, that's great. But if it starts being like, oh, Neil put a job description out at the bottom drawer that's actually three years old. And, oh, you should see the lift, list of must-haves on it. I mean, he's even written Excel. Like, what is this? You know, and you start just going, oh, gosh, I'm never going to find this person. Or, you know, you run a search and there are two of them on the planet. You know, yeah. you get the idea that's the wrong kind of client. However, you know, part of that, particularly now, we kind of got more opportunity to sit with someone 
there's nothing to stop you running a search and showing them that they're being ridiculous with their list of must-haves. You know, I, I understand that it'd be nice that we could probably train those five things that you've listed as must-haves, but, you know, there's only two people on the planet and actually if we narrow it down, it starts being 10, it starts being 20, it starts being, do you see? The, and show them. And that's a different, you know, we tended to be it's our little black book and we're hiding it away and we're cloak and dagger. It's like, just be real with people and they'll appreciate that. I think that's a really good insight in terms of explain to clients the reality of what they face and helping them make the decision about, well, am I growing someone who we train into this job? Am I going for something that looks close to the the JD that I'm thinking of because it needs to be plug and play? Or am I borrowing some skills in to meet it in different ways? But yeah. that can I interrupt you and just do there's something on camera? I am I am all in favor of interruption. I, I love an interruption. I've got to get my thought out. But the other thing again when you're you you are talking to your clients is Everybody is, well, not everybody, many, many people are getting counter offers at the current time. Huge now, numbers. one of the questions that you can ask to get around this, and I got this from uh, Bar Bruno, is when you are doing the screening, ask them, if I was, or if you were the boss, what five things would you change? And if they're all salary related, then they're salary shopping. You can pretty well know that they are. If they actually stay things like, oh, the processes or technology or whatever, then you kind of, okay. They're genuinely looking. But you need to talk to your client about that as well and be like, I might come back to you and have a salary that's £5,000 over what you'd like to offer. Do you know what it's costing you per day while this role is vacant? Okay, so maybe you can come up with 5 k if you need it. It's that, mm. again, if you've asked that business question, you can negotiate more on the salary. But there's two tax to take on that. But that's happening a lot. That, that piece around being able to advise clients effectively not just on the salary piece you you're absolutely yeah. i've heard some crazy stuff on counter offers in, yeah in the, la- in the last few months but it's also the the piece around helping clients to understand what they can have that might solve their problem it's a yes. classic move from consult order taker to consultant isn't it yes An order taker is you know i need someone who Pizza can do hut. this job please give me some a round peg to yeah. fit into this round hole whereas mm-hmm the question you ask in the in mm. the book what problem you're trying to solve yeah i think it, and also, it, it's it is it, an advisory one which may have you know it's, it's a move from the definite article i need the person mm. who fits this job to i need a person who can help me solve this problem and yeah. the second one has so much more potential added value for a client exactly and also if you're a recruiter who is an order taker you are replaceable yeah whereas absolutely. a partner you are not and it's a huge difference, you know. And and also, um, when you're partnering, or those that are recruitment partners, actually, wouldn't that be a nice vote if we called them that? They they tend to be a lot more curious. So one want to develop themselves and study and le- you know learn how to source and read loads of recruitment stuff and read about all the competition. So they naturally have all that knowledge, but they'll also ask all the right questions because they're curious. They'll go and looking the for example. information best examples I see amongst our membership are people who are deeply networked in Mm -hmm. local businesses and networks and their sector and they know people Mm -hmm. in key decision makers in firms in the sector but they know them in a kind of world of commercial and business Mm -hmm. discussions that then flow into staffing and recruitment discussions but because the level that they're operating at is much more about tell us what you're doing with your business mm-hmm. well okay but that means this is what you might want to do with your staffing have you thought yeah. about this and this and actually mm-hmm. then the phone might ring in a week's time saying yeah i have thought about this 
what would you say? Yeah. That discussion exactly. becomes much more long term. Yeah. I think your point about that's not replaceable with technology or at least not no. many times is no. the critical and that, thing. And that's that thing about the closer you can get with that relationship. You know, you want to be walking well, when one could, but we'll just pretend one can walk the floors. Yeah, but meeting the hiring manager, you want to meet the team, you want to understand the projects, you want to know what's going on. And, you know, the greatest success I had was when I used to go and walk the floors. So Colt Telecom were a client of mine way back. And I used to sit in on interviews and it got to the point I would send a CV over and they would just start the person because they trusted me. They were a middle contract, but they trusted me to supply the right person because they knew I really understood what they were up to. Yeah. And I just think, get back to that. Uh, it's so much more satisfying as well. And you'll have the right, you'll, you'll also become, you'll get inbound business as well because you'll be, known in your sector for knowing your stuff and they'll be like oh gosh whatever you do go talk to Katrina she knows her stuff and then it starts coming in I mean that's what happens in my world happens oh you got a problem with candidate experience talk to Katrina and it's just because it's what I talk about all the time that's the other thing personal and corporate brand mm-hmm. is just everything in this world and that's yes, yes absolutely about how you deal with clients and we talked a lot about that but obviously that that spills over into candidate experience in a really big yeah. way and one of the things yeah. i talk to rec members about all the time is candidate experiences client care as in yes. you know how you treat candidates while you're handling them for your client is it's, it's one big circle it all comes back to you oh yeah yeah and i would say maybe controversially I feel recruiters it doesn't matter what agency you're in it's all about you as an individual do what you say you do yes people came to me Katrina Collier not me at working at Spring Technology as it was um, as I was leaving I've changed names since but it was they came from to me because they knew me and I would say the best billers in my company it was exactly the same they came to that specific person less so the brand however you know your, your brand can be impacted as can your client's brand and actually that's another thing to be really aware of before you start working with a new client have a look at those reviews not just on Glassdoor and Indeed there's comparably there's Kanunu there's loads there's in her site there's lots of uh, aim for women for example read up because maybe you don't actually want to put people into that company or it's another way of saying are you aware of all of this we need to address this before I can possibly recruit for you because people will turn you down. And I had an interesting experience. Um, she's an in-house recruiter. And I said to her, don't take this job. Uh, and she ignored me and because the, the reviews were dreadful. Oh, no, but the team's really nice. Farrah. Six months later, she's going, ah, oh, yeah, you were right. Yeah. So I know a lot of people think that they don't matter, but ultimately they do. But yeah. there, if there is a common thread through all of them, it is usually true. You always get a few crazies, of course. But usually there's a common thread that you can see running through it. So, again, something to think about. That's that consultative partnership. I think the pandemic has allowed us to become, as you said, bold and just be like, this is, you know, I always call it fearless, that audacity, you know, ask more questions, be more demanding. Be, I'm sorry. I mean, it's it's a funny thing as well. It's a bit like a Louis Vuitton. that you, you, People will want you because you say no. 
Yes, absolutely. And that knowing the value, being willing to walk away, knowing the value of what you do and being able to systematize it as well. I mean, just before we close that question of internal and personal brand versus corporate brand is really interesting. Mm -hmm. I I think I said to you one time when we were speaking Mm -hmm. that one of the, the, the lessons that I picked up during the pandemic was the number mm. of recruitment businesses who thought they had a great client or a great source of candidates in a field, and then they yeah. suddenly didn't when a when a single individual was on furlough. So the, mm-hmm. there's a whole slew of questions. If that's the kind of client and candidate relationship we're heading for, and I'm absolutely mm. with you on that, yeah. it does also behove us to ask some pretty deep questions about how we structure agencies in terms of what's the right reward structure how do we make sure that we're not designing time for feedback out what are we doing to help really good potential recruiters become fantastic resources because and develop and then develop the kind of high level value-added conversation skills that they're going Mm. to need to run this kind of business there's a whole slew of business development things there that I think if I were owner operating or MD CEO of an agency would probably require me to take one step back in a way that maybe I wouldn't have five six years ago yeah and I I, you know go back to my day and it became I started with a company that was very much about the partnership and the relationship and doing a brilliant office you know sure I had to hit a certain amount per month but by the end, it was all so KPI driven. I felt like I had a gun to my head. You know, you've got to make X number of calls per day. And it was just not my way of being. And the agencies that I, su- I see succeed now actually put the mental health and well-being of their employees first. They put their training first. They put the humanity first. They don't put the number of, I don't know what one does these days, in-mails, <laughs> outreach, um, text messages per day minute per day they're looking at it because we want to attack we want to get clients but we do know that they're drawn to our people so we want to keep our people and i i'm trying to think i can think of like sarah west recruitment's an example i'm thinking of um and she's unbelievably well known in cornwall and and, and the southwest and business just comes to her but her entire team all operate it's all everyone's cared for and i i would like to see more of that great rec member yeah is she? You know her. I think she's fantastic when she's not like swimming around the silly aisles and stuff like that. Oh, very fit woman. The way she takes care of her staff, I just think is something else. And I think the results show. I think that's right. And I, it comes right back to what we were talking about earlier on. We we're talking about candidates, which is mm. in a tight labour market. It's a tight labour market for recruiters too. Um, oh, isn't it? You, it will, <laughs> yeah. you don't want to be following that that market too far up or yeah. uh, in terms of experienced consultants we need to get some more people into into the industry we're just publishing some stuff on the rec website yeah. at the moment and out in, uh, at the moment about recruitment as a career but clearly you know the mm. same things candidates are saying to you about your clients as a recruiter mm. about kind of hybrid working what you know how yeah. looked after all of those things apply in buckets to candidates for joining the industry as well yeah and, and what about Getting somebody who is older helps us return to work. You know, I, I think one of the fears I often have is that we are dealing with someone's life. This is what we do yep. as recruiters. We move people around. And if I move Neil into the wrong role and he doesn't succeed, the consequences can be enormous, particularly if you end up unemployed and then you've got a gap and the gap gets bigger and on it goes. And we've all seen that happen to people and it's horrific. So 
what if we got somebody who did want to just work part-time or is, is returned to work or perhaps has a gap or just needs a break, you know, someone to give them a chance? The, the loyalty that you would get from those people as well. The evidence on that is really strong, whether it's mm. people coming back into work. I mean, it's particularly strong, actually, with people coming into work from disabled backgrounds, where yes. there's a, the, the loyalty that you get from those members of staff is enormous, but also mm. the joy that those people have in being in work rubs off yeah. on colleagues. It's a whole kind yeah. of positive cycle there about how we engage our people. And I Absolutely. think. And Jane Hatton would tell you a lot about that, you know, running yeah. a, a whole agency that is for disabled, by disabled. But also that, that someone who's more experienced, who understands what it's like to have a job and the importance of it and, and, and how life-changing it can be. I think that's absolutely right. And actually, funnily enough, on the day we were recording this, I'm just kind of to- putting together a new presentation on the recruitment workforce and this kind mm-hmm. of stuff, I think, is really important for yeah. agency owners and managers to be thinking about. But we've yarned for a, for, for a good little while now. So I, I, should you, I should let you escape. <laughs> if people want to, want to follow up and find out a bit more, though, where should they be looking? I'm very Googleable. Uh, so Katrina Collier, straight into Google. You can't miss me. But you're all the usual places. I obviously my company is katrinacollier.com. Um, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, I'm pretty well everywhere. Please do purchase a copy of the Robot Proof Recruiter. I did donate my royalties to the most incredible charity called Hope for Justice that aimed to end modern day slavery, impacting over 40 million people. So I'd be most grateful if you bought everybody in your team a copy. Um, <laughs> but it also you'll want to ride on it. And it is really gritty. And also I feel quite eye-opening to ex- the in-house side to the agency side and we could start reducing the us and them thing that happens as well i think that's so so important and it comes highly recommended by the chief executive of the rec Uh, katrina thank you for so much for joining us on this episode of the podcast thank you neil and thank you to all of you for joining us on today's episode. If this has whetted your appetite for a little more REC podcast action, well, I did say earlier we've done a bit of tech recently. Episode 5 with Barry Matthews of Open Assembly on the future uh, structure for freelancing for high skill uh, people uh, done online is really interesting. Or episode 3 for, with uh, Felicity Birch of the CDEI on uh, data-driven tools and ethics in recruitment. Both cracking listens, so do check them out on the uh, back catalogue of our 2022 podcasts and i'll hope to uh, have you along again on another episode of the podcast soon thank you for joining us i've been neil carberry the rec chief executive and that was talking recruitment thank you for listening and i hope you enjoyed this podcast join me for another episode soon and check out our back catalogue at rec.uk.com to catch up on some other fantastic discussions that are really helpful for recruiters. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. So subscribe to REC Podcasts to never miss an episode.